Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. I'm Kathy Sharp-Ross, and we're here to talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly and happy reinventing, folks. Let's do this. So we're going to kick this off. I want to welcome you to everybody out there. I'm Kathy Sharp Ross, and I am really excited to bring to you today my episode with Mitch Slater of The Power of Reinvention. This conversation is going to be fun as we are dear friends and colleagues, and I've been a guest on Mitch's podcast when I actually launched my book, Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For? As a matter of fact, Mitch was the first person to interview me about my book formally in studio in New York City in advance of the book coming up and in anticipation of it. Little did we know when we released it in March, the month that the epidemic sent all of us home, that that would be you know, such a monumental time. So I really cherish and value what you did for me because that really kind of kicked things off. And we had one of my interviewees in studio with us, as a matter of fact, Brad Jakeman, that really kind of brought that episode to life. So I'm grateful for that. And I was, I felt, oh, and I was grateful to have that episode to be my first post-pandemic episode because the idea of reinventing your life is something that came to everybody's mind on Friday, March 13th. It's not lost on anybody at this point, and we're going to chat a bit about that today. And um, I really am excited because today we're going to talk about podcasting. We're going to talk about the businesses that we're in and what you're doing as a financial advisor with UBS, as well as the podcast that you're doing. We're going to talk about passions and trends and some hobbies that I think you've really turned into, you know, really an important part of your life, which is what reinvention is all about. It's about the whole self and it's about nurturing so many of those, of those parts of us. Um, you and I kind of accelerated this conversation, though, because something monumental happened in the world that um, I think was so relevant. And I reached out to you and said, can we do it sooner? And I'd love to jump into that. Sure. Sadly, the world lost an amazing man just a few what, a few weeks ago now, Larry King. Uh, yeah, last Saturday. Last yeah. Saturday, just a week ago. And I've had my own moments and and brush with Larry King. I live here in the Beverly Hills area, and our kids actually all played baseball together. My husband was coaching a team constantly, you know, playing against his family um, and his kids. And so he was, you know, that dad, devoted dad, no matter how business, no matter how famous, how recognized worldwide, he was always there for the kids. And, you know, the, the Beverly Hills Breakfast Club, right. right now, I mean, that was my go-to breakfast meeting power spot. So it was just a usual thing to walk by the table, see all the guys say hi, good morning, and connect with so many mutual friends that, you know, really sadly are, you know, lost, you know, have lost a dear, a dear and special person. I've also had some incredible business events and clients that have done interviews with Larry over the year. And even, you know, as wonderful as, um, and a, a recent, 
uh, fundraising event that Quincy Jones and Michael Caine were a part of. And Larry came to Las Vegas for this fundraiser for the Keep Memory Alive Foundation. And it was their 80th birthdays. And they were all, you know, talking about how they've, you know, escaped death (laughs) over and over Mm -hmm. in their 80s and how they're they're thriving. And it was really just such a precious conversation between those three. So you've had your history with Larry. And I think as a tribute to him, we're going to start off by sharing some of that because I think it really informed and shaped a lot of what you're doing and have done with your life and an understanding of, of so much. So going to kind of turn it over to you and, and just ask you to share a bit. Sure. Um, you know, Lou Gehrig famously said, I consider myself one of the luckiest men on the face of the earth. And I honestly felt that way last Saturday, the moment I heard the news about Larry's passing. And it, it's very rare, especially early in your 20s, to meet one of your heroes, first of all, have that hero invite you to lunch And then by the end of that lunch, have that hero hire you. (laughs) And, you know, things build to a point. And then someone who had studied acting and then got into communications and radio and TV while at school in in Washington, D.C., and had done a variety of internships, uh, I was every night listening to The Larry King Show. I was just a fan, you know, from, from growing up. It was just part of what I listened to. And after meeting him and having the opportunity to have lunch with him, Larry was, this was back in the day in D.C. where he held court at Duke Zebert's, which is no longer there, a wonderful restaurant, and then the Palm um, before he started holding court with the breakfast clubs in, in Beverly Hills. Uh, we had right. lunch at the Palm and I was 21 years old. It was March of 1982. I didn't have a job. I had a box full of rejection letters from radio stations all over the country and um, and we just bonded, you know, we just had a regular conversation, mostly probably 90% about sports because we immediately bonded over baseball, which was truly other than his kids and his family, his number one love, uh, and work, um, in the world. And he, by the end of the conversation, he said, as it's, as it happens, we just lost our overnight associate producer. I'm going to recommend to our executive producer uh, that you start immediately because we need somebody. That's amazing. And That's amazing. it was literally like, a, I think, a Wednesday afternoon. And I got a call the next day. I met with uh, the executive producer and she, based on Larry's recommendation, knowing absolutely nothing about me um, other than I had the chutzpah to ask him to lunch, um, uh, hired me. And in late, did you even have to show a resume? (laughs) I don't even honestly, honestly, I probably didn't have one. I had one. I had one because I had been sending them out. Um, but, and, and again, I had interned for Howard Stern. I had run my own overnight, uh, radio show on a major station in DC. Uh, I had interned, uh, for, um, another talk show host whose name I do not want to repeat anymore, who I would have repeated a few years ago. Um, but I also worked at CBS News after Reagan was uh, the attempted assassination. Um, my dorm room was ac- across from George Washington University Hospital. And Leslie Stahl was doing her nightly broadcast from in front of my dorm. And I went up to her and I said, you know, if you'd like, my, my dorm room is literally 
faces his hospital room. And CBS News reported from my dorm room for about two weeks. And they said, what can we do for you? I said, it's very simple. I just want an internship. That's all. And and I got an internship. So they knew I was kind of a go-getter. And uh, I had the opportunity in mid-March, while I, even before finals, to start working overnight for Larry King. And Amazing. one of the great joys of my life, uh, those two and a half, three years, spending four nights a week, Monday night through Thursday night, getting to the station at 10 o'clock, helping shepherd in the guest of the evening, who could be anyone from Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan to Sid Caesar, to Carl Reiner, uh, to uh, Judge Sirica, who had just done the Watergate trials, to John Dean. Oh, you, you name you name the the the, the stuff. You know, I'd love to go back in the in the archives from my early PR days when we were pitching a lot of our clients to Larry King and go. Hmm, were you in the studio? Were, you know, were these clients that you would have seen on, you know, God, in whatever the years those were? Yeah, That's yeah. Pretty, it was pretty funny. It, it was incredible. And, and most importantly, Kathy, is that I was, you know, in some ways, I was this casual observer of watching genius, but a genius in a different way, you know. There's book genius, there's Bill Gates genius, there's Elon Musk genius, there's figuring out how to get us to the moon genius, creating a vaccine genius. Larry King had the genius of curiosity and listening. Mm. And at the Mm. end of the day, being with him during those three years, I learned the two most important lessons that have continued to help me throughout the next 37 or eight years of my uh, work life and personal life, uh, to be curious, to ask a lot of questions, to really understand and, and want to know more about people, which I had that in me already, but I didn't know how to really express it in the form of, of an interview. And then secondly, right. Larry said one of the most important things to me, and he said it over and over, and it's in his books, is that I never learned anything with my mouth open. And that is so true. And the key, the secret of life, what James Taylor said, is avoiding the passage of time. I think it's listening. And I think anyone that is communicating and anyone that is looking to reinvent their life, you better start being a good listener because that's something that was so critical. So I got to know Larry well. We worked uh, for a while. I had an opportunity to move out to the West Coast and, of course, who in their mid-20s doesn't want to go work in TV, and I did, and I had my fun out in L.A. for a number of years, and we kept in touch, and that's about the time, I think 85 is when he started the CNN show, Um, and I was working in Philadelphia for another wonderful interviewer, Terry Gross, at the time, actually, on NPR, um, when I pivoted into the financial services industry, mostly because of the communications background that I had, I had a pretty good mentor in my dad, who as a second career was working at Merrill Lynch. And when I was about to get married and my wife was already, we were commuting, she was commuting from Philadelphia to New York to work, uh, thought I might be looking for a real job, the way he put it. And um, (laughs) I had the opportunity to have a really smart manager realize what the key to the success in my industry is which is communication, like anything else. You can learn the rest. 
but very few people know how to be able to sit over a kitchen table and have very intimate conversations about people's financial lives and their personal lives. Um, you have to be able to communicate. So Larry King for me was kind of the beacon of communication for me. And I am so grateful that I got to know the man personally. He loved his children. I'm not surprised he was at every one of those little league games. Uh, he was so proud of, of Chance and Cannon and everything that they accomplished. Two kids, very uniquely different, um, but both with a love of baseball, both played baseball, both were drafted. Um, I'm not sure if either of them will wind up playing, but they you know, they just loved the game. They kind of grew up with it in their and blood they grew up and their with love it. for the Dodgers. And well, you know. I mean, Larry, Larry, as a kid would stand outside. He couldn't afford to get into the games, especially after his dad died when he was nine years old. And, and, uh, New York city, he, they were on what was called relief, which was welfare. And New York city bought him his first pair of glasses. As a matter of fact, and he would sit outside of Ebbets field and he would pretend you know, to be one of the announcers and call the game with his friends. And then the, when the players would come out, he would talk to them and he would, he would say to, you know, Pee Wee Reese or Jackie Robinson, you know, on the second inning, you stole third. Why did you steal third? I, I, I don't understand. You really didn't need to. You're up by five runs. You know, he was just constantly doing that. So um, for him, baseball was everything, and the Brooklyn Dodgers and then the L.A. Dodgers were everything. And anyone that's watched the World Series game where the Dodgers were in it in the last 15 years, and they were in a lot of World Series in the last 15 years, always saw Larry and his always pink, behind pink what, shirt, home plate. blue shirt, <laughs> behind home plate, right. um, with his good friend Mary Hart, with one of his kids, whoever, yep. whoever yep. he was with. Um, no. uh, he was He was very special, and... Um, the best way that I can honor him is just to continue to tell stories about him. And I think all of his friends well, you recently will do... interviewed him as well. It wasn't just, yes. you know, a relationship from way back. Oh, no, you no. had a really, and you know, great sit down with him again. And, and that's one of the things is that he didn't have, have to maintain this relationship with me. I mean, we, we met 38 years ago, but he would go out of his way to, you know, get in touch with me when he was in New York or, certainly be willing to sit down with me and, you know, over a bagel in LA. And then when I started, I had a financial radio show in the nineties. And of course, Larry was my, one of my first guests and Larry even recorded a promo that I just found recently for that show. Oh, and cool. then when I decided to start the podcast, of course he was going to be my first guest. And Larry said, well, we got to make this special, come to the house, block out the whole morning, come on, you know, and uh, we just had a wonderful time. I hired a, a videographer and we just sat there and recorded, you know, 45 minutes, but really talked for probably three hours um, uh, just about everything in the world. And then recently, I really wanted to speak to him again. I felt that um, there were certain things, the topics that uh, I wanted to cover we didn't get to. So we did a Zoom. Uh, not not a podcast, but just sort of a Zoom interview um, where Larry really wanted to express more of his political feelings, let's say, about his friend Donald Trump, his once one friend's once friend, Donald Trump. Once and, friend, and, right. and he used this opportunity and I think a few other interviews to express himself. And I was so glad that we had that nice little chat in, um, I think it was in June of last year, 
And then I called him um, after both two of his children passed away suddenly, uh, his daughter Kaya, who I knew was a 16-year-old, and then another son, uh, Andy, um, and I just wanted to just speak. And it was very, he was very upset. We just spoke for a few minutes. And then I spoke to him after the Dodgers won because I knew that the joy that that gave him. And, and I just think that's the, uh, the irony that Tommy Lasorda died a week before I was just him. Gonna, I was just going to say, is like not, the two of them are hanging out upstairs together it's not, now. It's not, <laughs> it's not lost on anybody that knew Larry or, or knew the Dodgers. Mm. Um, but I know that really the only smile he got after losing Kaya and Andy Jr. Um, was, was watching the Dodgers win. Um, but he was recording up until the day um, uh, he started feeling the symptoms of COVID and went into the hospital. Um, he was continuing to do his, his show for uh, Aura TV, and he was about to start a podcast. He and his son had cut a deal with some company, and they were going to do a podcast. Um, I think it was going to be called the... Do you think his son will carry that on in some way? I don't know. He's very interested in broadcasting, one of his sons. So it, I, yeah. I think, I think, oh, I good. hope he does. I hope he does. I really... Well, maybe you can reach out to him and give him some guiding principles and remind him of some of those poignant points that help craft what you're doing because, you know, he, he may take them for granted and not realize the importance. Is, I mean, yeah, that's very when true. When you talk about the storytelling and the curiosity and, and the listening and i i love that you brought the topic of curiosity and listening even back to the reinvention conversation because those are two of the pillars of reinvention being curious enough to know what else you can have in your life to be able to curi- be curious enough to be able to talk to others and hear their stories and know what's possible and to learn how to listen and not just listen to other people, but more importantly, listen to yourself and know how to be still and quiet enough to connect with yourself and make sure you're doing what you want with your life. And so those two words for me are such big words. And I love that there is this incredible overlap in the context of both of those words in what we're doing, you, myself, what Larry did, and so many others that are interviewing people, really chatting with them about and digging deeper on their stories and the anecdotes and making them so visceral that other people can relate and say, hey, I'd love to do that, or that's inspiring to me. I wonder if I could get that out of my life. And we're serving that up. We're sharing these stories, my story, with you, our conversation, and you being able to share his story, and when you and I interviewed Brad, Brad Jakeman, right. that we're paying it forward with knowledge and inspiration, and it is important that we learn how to listen to ourselves and that we really just stop long enough. And, you know, the great irony of what we've been through in the last year has actually been this amazing invitation to push that pause button, even if it's just for a moment. For many of us, it's been a lot more than just a moment. But the no commuting, the not going out every night, all the functions, all the travel, all the business interaction that we're missing and craving and, you know, wanting, we've had to put it on pause. And that's been a gift of space and time in our lives 
to look around us, to connect with people in our lives that we weren't making time for, and to connect with ourselves, which most of us certainly weren't making time for and prioritizing. And this time has also given us, I think, kind of a gift of thinking more about our own legacy. Um, because when you, you know, when you live through what we've lived through and you survive, hopefully, what we've lived through, um, and sadly so many haven't, you know, we all start thinking about our own legacy. Um, and that's not necessarily something that I was really even thinking about um, a year and a half ago. But um, turning 60 definitely was one little piece of it. But but in general, the fact that I had this time on my hand and I had the opportunity to learn, continue to learn from others like you and, and many of the folks that I've been speaking to on my show, it, it just there's so much that you can take away from that. And, and you can't, you know, I love how your titles reinvent your life because, you know, the great expression, you know, why reinvent the wheel, you know, and, right, and, right. and, but life and the wheel are so different. Um, uh, and, and, and that expression really is like, if you just continue, why do it do the same thing over and over again? Um, but that's not what life really is about. Insanity. Yeah, but that's <laughs> right. not what life is about. Life is really looking in inside and seeing who you are and realizing the most important parts of you and that if you can't touch those sides, which for me is creativity in, in some form or another, whether it's playing the piano, whether it's acting, whether it's interviewing, whether it's communicating through podcasting, just something, whether it's just, you know, if I knew how to do origami, that would be great. I can't draw. I, I literally cannot draw. My kids always laugh when, you know, I try to sign the dog's name. Play and, like Pictionary. Yeah. And I, it's just, <laughs> you know, it just, I wasn't blessed with, with that artistic form. And, um, but, but I, I understood how important it is to, to really, look inside and realize where that was coming from and be able to combine that with your work and your family and really create the life that, that you'd want people to write about. I mean, I, but I also, you know. I think for you, Mitch, like I've, I know from our friendship and our many conversations, you know, there are passions in your life that you have really understood or felt compelled to nurture and, your interest in music, your love for Bruce Springsteen, the, you know, the, the what you've, you know, mm -hmm. let, let's talk about that sure. for a moment, because you've brought these things into your life, not just as a fan, but as somebody who's really sort of gone a level deeper with that and figured out how to sort of surround yourself with things that you're interested in, you're curious about connecting with other people around that. And it's amazing. Yeah. And it, it's amazing how these things happen. So, so I love music. I've always loved music. Um, my sister saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium in 1965, and I was five years old. And I still remember the excitement and the thrill uh, of, of, of her talking about it. And obviously, my music tastes may have changed over the years, but certainly uh, a certain Jersey guy caught me in the late 70s and never let go. And and my passion for, for, for everything Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band has been something that's just been a part of who I am, attending two, 300 concerts over the years. But 
in my wildest dreams, I never thought that, well, A, I would meet the man and have conversations with him, but I'd get involved in their world. And the reason I got involved in their world is because the passions that I had in music led me to find a nonprofit that could help kids with music. And I literally was, was searching for organizations like that when one day on Twitter, um, I saw something about an event for an organization called Little Kids Rock, and I got a private message from Maureen Van Zant, Steve Van Zant's wife, an actress who also played on The Sopranos. She didn't know me at all. And she said, I love what you just wrote. You need to come to this event. I want to introduce you to the head of this organization. Of course, I came to the event. I, I arranged for a table. Uh, they were going to be honoring uh, Steve Van Zant for his work on Little Kids Rock. Little Kids Rock is a, uh, an organization that was started by a former school teacher. And what uh, Dave Wish was doing um, was bringing music back into the classroom that had been gone with every, you know, no child left behind. They knocked out the arts. Mm -hmm. And yep. he understood more than anyone that teaching kids about music was not about Bach and Beethoven and theory. You know, it was about the music they loved. So if they wanted to, they really wanted to, you know, play a Jay-Z song or play a Taylor Swift song, that's what they would teach or, you know, whatever the music was. And then they found all of these wonderful partners, uh, Gibson Guitars and everyone else that got involved. And then they got the, the celebrities that were involved. So I went to this event that they were honoring Stephen I brought. So, is this what the movie School of Rock was based on with Jack Platt? Um, actually, that actually, in, in some ways, School of Rock did influence Dave Wish, um, actually, when you talk to him, that he just, he was so taken by that. Because he was a music teacher and he was like, this is, he was teaching in Oakland and he was like, this is insane. This is, I'm not, I'm not getting to these kids. And he would make, he would, he would do lessons on the side and make mixtapes for them and, and he, he realized there was something there. And Stephen, who that. was always... Thinking out of the box and making it happen. Yeah. And, Huge. you know, so I wound up being on the board for this organization for five or six years. We ran these amazing events in New York City every year where we raised between one and two million dollars. Um, and it was just such an honor to work with the other board members, but also to work with Stephen, who was the musical director. And we had talent. You know, I mean, just, you know, anyone from Brian Wilson to Alice Cooper to Joan Jett to Green Day to, uh, to of course, Bruce Amazing. Springsteen. Um, and, and those events were so, just so much fun. But what was even nicer was, was really working with these people and getting to know them. And that's how I got to know Stephen. And then Stephen started a spinoff organization called teachrock.org which specifically is a rock and roll curriculum that he has offered for free to classrooms all over America. And in fact, his last tour that he did himself with his band, the disciples of soul, when Bruce was on Broadway, he let teachers in for free. Stephen Van Zandt. You know what I love about this? I, I got to just, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, and I have to say Mitch, like it's making me think about and really want to kind of just point to the fact that, you can be passionate about something and you don't have to be the rock star up on stage. If you're passionate about music, 
you want to connect, you want to pay it forward, you want to mentor, you want to be a part of it, you want to start a charity. You know, when we talk reinvention and nurturing your passions, like you can be that lawyer in a corner office, not being able to handle your nine to five job every day, or, you know, in this case, at home on Zoom. But I think that we want to help people understand how valuable it is and how precious it is to be able to tap into these other parts of us and our passions. And you exemplify that. Stephen Van Zandt exemplifies that. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you can find a way to let something like that into your life. Absolutely. You open. And you have to really open up special. your heart to the areas that you're most passionate about and find these things that you know, you step out of your comfort zone. I, I think back, mm-hmm. actually, big time. I think back on uh, kind of an important, a sad but important moment in my life. Twelve years ago, I was actually um, in California. My son had done a, a summer program at UCLA, and I'd gone out to pick him up. And we just drove around the coast, and we were. I was going to visit a client in Laguna Beach, and I got a call uh, one morning. My dad had a heart attack and had passed away very suddenly. Um, his health had not been great, but it was still obviously quite a shock. And obviously, it was very, very close with my dad. It was a, it was a, it was a struggle. But one of the things that I always admired about my father was his public service. Like he was always getting involved in the community. He started our synagogue, and he was very involved in bringing Martin Luther King to speak at our synagogue in 1967, along with our rabbi who literally went to jail with King. And, and I just, you know, I heard all these stories that my dad had been involved in. And I, I just said, you know, I, I have this hole in my heart. There's something I want to do that could represent my father. And I decided to run for the, our local board of education um, in a very competitive mm-hmm. race um, and ran. And of course, I don't do things small. I ran a big campaign, <laughs> um, got the most votes because I don't think anyone ever campaigned like I did. Um, and right. those six years of being on the board of education made me, first of all, I learned, I mean, I always loved teachers, but I had no clue how a school system is run and the challenges that takes. It's, and even in a nice town well, like I that, live in, that, it was incredible. you did. Yeah. You dug into yeah. it. I mean, you kind oh, of, no, I you know, you in. looked at fear straight on. You went, you looked at those challenges straight on and... You know, somewhere in you, you you were compelled enough to go through, you know, jump through those fires and really like that risk you were taking on perhaps failing. You know, was it really going to be failure if you didn't if you didn't win? Was it going to be an extraordinary excursion and adventure and lesson for you? And that's real real life stuff. Right. And and everyone has with. the opportunity to do that. It's inside them and and you know, don't listen to anybody. Positivity matters. I mean, don't listen to the negative voices in your head mm. and don't listen to the or negative others. <laughs> listen, I mean, listen, I, I my my wife was incredibly supportive when I ran for this, but I have a friend who ran and, and his wife was uh, you don't die. you're it's crazy, you don't do it. It's going to take up all your time. It's going to aggravate you. And he wound up being on two terms and, and he was able to just listen to his gut because he knew that he could make a contribution. I knew the areas that I could help, which were which were in the technology areas and in, in financial literacy, which was something that was mm-hmm. so important to me that I actually elevated it to a level 
where I was part of a group of uh, folks that helped the governor mandate financial literacy in the state of New Jersey. Amazing. So you can't graduate wow. high school without getting, uh, you know, at least a one semester class to learn the basics. So all of these things, sometimes there are these incidents in life that you're looking for reasons like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And, and the loss, I turned the loss of my dad, which was, you know, a tragedy, of course, but I turned that into something positive and something that I knew that he would be proud of. And, and that's what happened in the music world. And that's how it led to the relationship where all of a sudden, you know, I'm backstage at, you know, Bruce Springsteen concerts and, and my mom who's 93 years old, at 90 years old, Steve Van Zandt loved some of the stuff that I was having her make these videos because she's, she's, a, she's a real ham for a Jew, let me tell you, my mom. Yeah. Um, it runs in our family. <laughs> and my grandfather lived to be 97, was that way. And um, I made a little video of my mom all excited about going to Steven's concert. Steven loved it, of course, and said to me about three weeks later, give me your email, I have an idea. He sends me an email two in the morning or something uh, with a script. And he said, I want, I want your mom. Um, it's like a week before her 90th birthday. I want her to open my concert that I'm playing uh, in New York. Um, get on stage, big curtain, a big whole thing, thousands of people um, in a theater, a beautiful theater. And my mom, you know, my brother was like, she'll never do it. She'll never do it. My mom was like, bring it on. I had it, you know, on the iPad. She learned the script. Stephen showed her what to do. The place went crazy. She, she was taking oh selfies. Stephen set up a Twitter for her. And then somebody found it. And that was a casting director doing a, an ad campaign for J-Date, the Jewish dating service that was looking no. for older Jewish women to become, uh, to that were yentas that were out there coding in the middle of the night to find the right connection <laughs> for their grandson or their granddaughter. You've got to send me a link oh, to this, please. I will show you. How did yeah, I not know this? this? this, so, this is so great. my mom became the face of J-Day and was on billboards all over New York. Um, oh my God, It that's was an incredible hysterical. campaign. And, you know, and then that led to doing another event with Stephen where she got to meet Bruce, which, you know, she grew up with around me. She knew... She became a right. Bruce fan by just by I'm osmosis. Sure. Yeah. And I took her to right. see Springsteen on Broadway, of course. Um, so for her meeting Bruce, and, and I'll send you a picture of that, was really, honestly, one of the greatest moments of my life was knowing that my mom's dancing on stage with Steve Van Zandt and Maureen and the whole band. And who comes on stage? Bruce Springsteen. And then, and that he sits down with her and he talks with her and, and they, I've been the audience. I didn't know a lot of this was happening. And so, okay, this is priceless. Yeah. We're going to put all of this in my newsletter when we promote sure. this episode of the podcast. So you're going to have to get me. I will, certainly that. will. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love these stories. Every time I talk to you, I feel like there's this whole like treasure chest of anecdotes and stories that just pour out. So it's, it's just precious. Talk to me for a moment. I know we're, we're running short on time, but just briefly, I'd love to just understand you've taken so much of your approach to life, your listening, your curiosity, and really applied it to what your day-to-day -day mm -hmm. business is, being a financial advisor with UBS and the importance of the work that you're doing, the impact that you're having on people's lives. 
You know, you, you talk about listening. Is that something that is at the cornerstone of what you have to do every day in your business? 100%. I don't think you're doing somebody uh, service unless you're listening to what their needs are. Everyone is different. Everyone has uh, different things in life that are important to them, uh, whether it's you know taking care of their kids' education, whether it's their own retirement, whether it's the legacy, um, whether it's their own business. Uh, every, everybody is a, a unique story. And my partner, who is, uh, I always say that she's the brain, she's the Ivy Leaguer, um, you know, we, we joke that you have to have an accelerator and a break in every relationship. And, and I'm clearly the accelerator and my partner, Anne, is, is the break. And it's very important that we have this conversation. First of all, it's important that you're teaming. So that would be point number one. I don't think anybody should, should work with uh, one person. They should work with a team no matter what you're doing in life. I think, you know, teams are incredibly important. But in, in my industry specifically, it's listening to people, developing a roadmap. You know, people spend so much time planning their trips back in the day to Disneyland or Disney World, but they spend very little time planning for their retirement and starting at a young age. But you have to hear what, you know, what, what they're saying, what their risk tolerance is, what they're willing to... Um, you know, their, their education is about the, and the market. context of one's life, yeah, right? Exactly. Like it's not a one size fits no, all it's not. kind of and scenario everyone, on any level. Everyone is, is, is their own unique diamonds. You know, I look at my clients as diamonds and, 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 and each, each client that we work with, you know, shines differently. And it's important that we understand that that's the only way to, to really develop a relationship. So it's not, for me, return on investment. It's the return on the relationships. And I'm so proud of the ROR of the return on the relationships that we've developed with the folks that we work with. Um, and, and that's the way it should be. It's not about the investment it's you know it's it's so much more it's the advice beyond investing right and and you're talking about people's livelihoods right. here so you know your ability to connect with people on that level on that level mm -hmm. and, and has to be so fundamental to your business yes, and, and i don't think everybody gets oh no that. and understanding one thing is that as i mentioned earlier it's not taught you know so many people grew up in the what my friend Neil Godfrey calls the Donna Reed generation, where their moms were vacuuming, wearing pearls, and dad would come home to work at five o'clock and his slippers and his drink would be ready and everyone would sit down to dinner at six o'clock. Well, <laughs> Kathy, you and I know that did not exist in raising that, that our, in our families. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but they grew up in that generation and they got no, it was actually easier to talk about sex in the house than it was. There was the sex talk. There was never the money talk. And the sad thing is that still really isn't happening that much today. So that makes it even more challenging. And I work with a lot of millennials. I work with a very uh, young agency. I work with Gary Vaynerchuk, which Gary is happy right. to have me mention. Um, yeah. And his agency, you know, the average age are 
in their late 20s. And I still see that same thing with many of them. Oh, my dad will help me. My girlfriend will tell me. My boyfriend might. Also, I think people that age don't think they have a, quote, portfolio or a financial conversation of value to be had. And that's not necessarily the case. There's a point of entry for everybody at any level. And so your ability to advise and guide, even if someone doesn't have a lot to work with, is actually the reason to help people build and understand the foundation for the rest of their life financially. Absolutely. And I think there's a big misconception around that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. And we're going to give your um, information on how to reach you at the end of the show as well, in case um, folks want to kind of talk to you further. Um, I've got a fun question for you and you of all people, when, when, not if, when you can have that coveted dinner party that you can't wait to fill your house with four or five really amazing people. They could be dead. They could be alive. Who would you want? Name three or four people that you would want sitting around that dinner table. Maybe even ask them to be on your podcast afterwards, Mm -hmm. but to have, to raise, to raise a glass of wine with, and to just have a really interesting conversation. Well, it's, it's a great question. And without a doubt, um, I think family, I I think I would look at each one of those chairs to represent a different part of the life that matters to me. So family would be number one. Um, And I would, you know, I knew my dad, I knew my grandfather, but I I didn't know their family. So I would love to, I never met a great grandfather. So whether it was probably on my, on my mother's side, uh, I would have loved to have known, you know, what the struggles he went through in Russia and he died young and, 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 and what his dreams were. And, and he never, you know, Mm -hmm. were able to realize, but, but his son was able to emigrate and, and have an incredible life for 97 years. And now his, son's daughter for 93 years um plus um so it would probably be certainly i would want some family represented i love history and i love american history um number one so abraham lincoln would absolutely have to have a seat at the table uh, um i right yes and i've read i've you know, read just about every book written on him, um, including Brad Meltzer's most recent book, who I just had on my podcast, which is terrific. Uh, so plenty of things to talk to Abe Lincoln about. I also am an Anglophile. Um, and I just, just, you know, I've continued to read books about Winston Churchill and read one this year that was just absolutely brilliant. Um, so Winston Churchill would... Which one was that? Do you um, have the title? Uh, Oh my God, it's, it's in not, the other room, but it. it's such a good book okay, and it's on worry. everyone's 10 best list, okay. but uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we will, um, I'll, I'll let you know. It's a great book. Circle back yes. on that. Okay. But Winston Churchill, I would, I really want to understand how he was able to calm an entire nation through its worst and darkest hours and, and, and against all odds, against all odds. And uh, an absolute hero of mine. So he would he would kind of represent the 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 Anglo, the the British side of me that I I I, mm. I adore. And then there would have to be somebody from the arts, and that's that's the toughest one um, because I I you know I could I could go all the way back to the great you know uh, Da Vinci's to Michelangelo's as well as 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 oh, all like forms that. of art, but. I love music. 
I love rock and roll. The king would have to be the last seat. It'd be Elvis Presley. I would. I would just have to talk (laughs) to Elvis Presley, and and just sort of find out in some ways what went wrong because he was told so many times by so many people that one of the most important parts of his fame was to get out and be with people and don't be on your own. Don't force yourself. But of course, Mm. he unfortunately had a a terrible. mentor colonel parker who forced that so yeah probably probably elvis presley although i i go back and forth because i really 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 loved the beginning of rock and roll and how i you know i i guess chuck berry to be a tough tough choice between Chuck Berry, Little Richard. Gosh, I think we're going to have them. a much bigger we're table for you. Table, just... <laughs> we, we can have more because yes. could you imagine the conversation between Springsteen and Elvis Presley? Well, you know, and I'll like... I'll, I'll I'll wrap up with this one story. <laughs> okay. When when Bruce Springsteen was uh, 27, 28 years old, I think he had two albums out. For the first opportunity, he was playing in Memphis, and he and Steve Van Zant. Uh, left the hotel and said, we got to go see Elvis. So they, I don't know, midnight, one in the morning, they go to Graceland. Of course, there's this giant fence. They literally, true story, they climb the fence. They go and they ring the doorbell. And they say, and someone comes to the door, is Elvis home? And they're like, well, first of all, no, he is in Las Vegas. And second of all, how did you get here? He said, oh, we just climbed over the fence. Like, who do you think you are? He said, well, I'm Bruce Springsteen. I have two albums out, and my dream is to meet Elvis. And and I think the guy said, well, my dream is to put you in jail, but I'm going to give you an opportunity (laughs) to leave. And uh, and it's a story that Bruce tells in his book oh and gosh. told in his Netflix special. And, and I had Steven no knows, idea, but, so that's perfect. But he, got a, he wanted to meet the king. He never did. Um, but I give him credit well, for trying. It's going to happen at your proverbial dinner table. Yes. So I love that. Mitch, thank you so much. I feel like we could go on for hours and hours, and I know how rich our conversations are, but I'm so grateful for you being here and sharing so much today, talking about Larry King and our tribute to him and the legacy that he has left through so many and inspired and and just really brought so many people to life for so many of us. No, I appreciate that. um, And I will... will, I put together a special tribute video from some of the interviews that I've done with Larry, which I will gladly oh, give you and you can, you can, okay. you can link with folks and, and they could link I to my podcast and hear the interviews that I'm doing Perfect. and trying we'll to learn from. Show notes. You don't want to miss the show I did with this woman, Kathy Sharp Ross. That was a great show. <laughs> I thank you. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So how can people reach you directly, Mitch? Really? Uh, well, it's funny. Yesterday, they could not reach me on Twitter um, because somebody hacked <sighs> me, but I did get it back. Oh. Um, so okay. um, easiest way would be at MP Slater on Twitter. Um, um, I'm pretty easy to find on Facebook, but really just okay. Google my name f- with the show financially speaking and, uh, LinkedIn. We'll put all the links. Yeah, in the LinkedIn's show really well. where so, I communicate the most the with best. people. Okay. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you. And I thank the audience today for tuning in and listening. As you know, I launched my book, Reinvent Your Life, just at the beginning of this year. And I've had a year full of very rich and exciting interviews and conversations with the most amazing people who are constantly inspiring 
all of you with tips and tricks and anecdotes on the life that you may want to live. So I implore that you tune in, um, check out the reinventionexchange.com for lots of this content and information, podcasts, reinvention, virtual chats, anecdotes, links to other people's great stories and, and information about how to really inspire some part of your life. And Mitch, thanks so much for being here today. Have a beautiful rest of your day, everybody, and happy reinventing. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing. Happy reinventing.